welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. All right, tonight's message, I, want, I do want you to go ahead and have your bulletin ready. I want you to, we're going to look at several scriptures here. Our main passage is going to be in Romans chapter 12, but uh, the other passages, we'll read them off the board. You can look at them, but you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. Um, actually, before we do this, I, um, I want you to show a copy of the front page of the New York Times. This is right now, and I checked it just a little bit ago. Phil, can we zoom in on that a little bit, on the U.S. learned of Kremlin order to proceed with invasion, officials says. Are you able to zoom in on that, uh, the picture? That there, okay, if you're not there, uh, if we're not able to. This is the current front page. If you go to NewYorkTimes.com, that's, um, that's what we have going on in, in the other part of the world. Now, this is important because we see that, uh, I guess, through, um, we're learning, I guess we're uh, wiretaps and however we spy on folks, we're learning from the Kremlin there and the Russia that they have kind of already decided, it sounds like, that they're planning on invading Ukraine. Now, many of us, we live in a time of world peace. We don't realize that, but we actually do, especially here in the United States. Maybe not so much there in that region of around the Black Sea, but here in this part of the world, um, for the most part, we are not scared to death of bombs falling on top of Lexington. We are not worried about troops and tanks coming into our neighborhood. We might worry about crime and other things, but the reality throughout Christian history and throughout many throughout world history, is there has been a grave concern of war. And I want to tell you, 200 years ago, there was a concern here of war in the United States. The War of 1812 was the Great Britain, the British trying to take back our, and they almost did it too, of our young nation in 1812. And one of the principles for us as believers, is we need to know what the Bible says about war. And that's what we're going to be studying tonight. Because we could, the, the, first of all, the end times speaks about how one of the characteristics of Jesus coming back again and the rise of the Antichrist and the falling away of the apostasy of the church is there will be an increase in war. And we as believers, we need to make sure we can say this is what the Bible says about war. I'm going to show you several different positions on that. First position is going to be, in fact, I, before we read it, I want to show you right here. Right here on your handout, before I read all this scripture. Basically, the Christians going to war, there's three major views. This is where your bulletin comes in. And the first one would, would probably be the most aggressive. And this means war is necessary. That means we must defend ourselves and utilize preventative strikes against enemies that are poised for imminent attacks. So in this case, maybe with Russia and Ukraine, if we saw that a nation was building up troops and about to invade another nation, one country, maybe the U.S., we could just go ahead and start making uh, preventative strikes on those forces there on the Ukrainian-Russian border to say, hey, we're not going to go to war, so we're going to push you back. It's a preventative war. You have to say, it's going to happen, so let's go ahead and start preventing a massive war from happening. That view there is a more aggressive approach towards war. 
That's probably not what I would hold to. I would hold to this number two, what I would believe. War is for self-defense. That means a country should only go to war once aggression is visited upon a nation. Use force to meet force. Meaning you don't fight, you don't go to war until you've actually been attacked. Because even though we can, we think we're making preventative uh, strikes, the problem with a preventative war is you could just use that for any justification for even countries you don't like or maybe uh, things you want to change throughout the world. You can say, we're doing this for preventative purposes, so we're just going around bombing and striking different areas because we know what's best. But here, when a country attacks someone else, you've been fired upon, you've, missiles are incoming, you, for self-defense, you need to strike back. And I actually believe the Bible uh, promotes this. And I'm going to show you all tonight. That's the stance I, I, I believe. And then number three is violence is wrong. And there's a lot of folks that believe this. This is what we call pacifism. This is where Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Why on earth do we need to go kill people? Jesus tells us, if someone hits us in the face, we don't need to strike back. We need to turn our other side and let them do what they wish. And then he says in the sermon, beginning on the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. Someone who's, who's a peacemaker is blessed by the Lord. There's many, many folks hold to this viewpoint. I want to tell you, this viewpoint, if we could rewind about 110 years before the beginning of World War I, we could go back in time to about 1910, this was a prevalent view. This is also ties in with post-millennialism. That means things are getting better, not worse. We're going to just win the world to Christ. The uh, United States is going to become very Christian. Other, other nations will, through Christian missions, will come to know the Lord, and we will just ease into this lordship of Christ. A lot of people in Christianity now don't necessarily hold to that because we've now gone through two world wars and numerous other conflicts. You all know that. So, I think the position I want to end up in this evening, and I, I think for us to really understand, is, is self-defense. We don't want to go around striking and being aggressive, but at the same time, if, if you don't fight for your country, you will lose your country. You'll lose your country just like that. And I want to tell you, Ukraine's on the brink right now. They will lose their country. They might, there might not be a Ukraine like we know by this time next week or however long it takes. We don't know, but the, but the reality is there are our fellow believers, and when we close this service, I'm going to pray for the Ukrainian Christians. There are people, they are scared to death. There are school children, there's families. They are on the brink of losing everything. When I um, was dating Sherry at our church in our single Sunday school class, there at our church in um, uh, Shades Mountain Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, we were, I was real involved, and there was a young man, he, he was from the Ukraine, and he uh, struggled with driving, so I would pick him up for church and Sunday school and like our college Bible study, singles Bible study, and he would tell me, 
what it used to be like because he grew up. Because remember, Ukraine used to be part of the uh, Soviet Union. So and then he, he saw that change and then he witnessed it uh, go from a Soviet to a, a Soviet Union country to an independent country that's a democracy. And he said, a democracy is better. You had freedom. It was amazing the change that occurred that you weren't being spied upon and always had people tattletelling on you, reporting to others if you did something wrong. You lived in fear under communism. I believe personally, communism is one of the greatest threats to the world right now. We don't hear this a lot. Communism is an atheistic, godless religion. It's a religion. And what it does is it pushes an autocratic, communist, totalitarian mindset onto people, and it forces them to live in fear. They're scared to go to church. They lose their freedom. And not only that, it stifles the work of the Holy Spirit. Because you, do, you don't have freedom. Now you can say, Pastor, what about China? Absolutely, the underground Christian church has flourished in China. It's alive and well. It's growing. But think what it could have been like if it wasn't under communism. It could have been even more. They wouldn't have had to go underground. But we live in a, we live in a world today where there are countries that want a heavy hand in an authoritarian government and basically repress and push back against Bible-believing Christians. I want to tell you, the Antichrist, I referenced this morning that passage in 2 Thessalonians. There is no reason we can't believe he could even come under the guise of communism. That could be a totalitarian leader. So when someone says, oh no, that's not, he's, he's a leader of this nation, and there just happen to be communists, well, if more people buy into this, next thing you know, this socialist, communist type of thinking, it will destroy spiritually nations and Christians. So, we're going to see here in the Bible that the truth is, we need to know as Christians how to respond. Because we can't leave, live in fear. But not only that, we have to also be faithfully praying for our fellow brothers and sisters and engaged in conversations that we know, hey, this, there might, what happens in Ukraine and Russia, the U.S., for valid reasons, could actually get drawn into this. We don't know right now, but down the road, we don't know what the future holds. All right, I want you to look here in your Bible. I actually want to start in the book of Genesis. I have it up here on the screen. Genesis 9, 5, and 6. This is right after Noah came off the boat. Remember why the flood had to occur. People were wicked. God does not want people to go around killing one another and living immoral lifestyles. It's wrong. Violence is wrong. Shooting people, robbery, stealing. This is no way, this is not what we want in our country, in our community. That's no way to live. That's not God's plan for us. God put Adam and Eve 
in the garden. He wanted them to work, to tend to the garden. There was an expectation, work is good. God created us to work. He created the man in your home to work, and the children to be raised by the mother, to create a godly, Christ-centered home. That is God's plan. We should always pride and encourage your children and grandchildren. They should go to work. They should not live off the government. They should not sit around just just hoping for a check. That's, That's not what the Lord has created for us. And right here, but apparently there were some problems leading up to total violence going into the flood. And when they're coming off the boat, Look what one of the first things God's covenant with Noah. He says, And I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. God supports and institutes the death penalty. If I kill someone tonight, it is perfectly justifiable for the state of Kentucky to execute me. I don't even know if we have execution here in our state. There's no, no, there's perfectly justifiable. It's right here in the Bible. If you, if I am found guilty and I kill someone, there is, is not a sin, it's not wrong for capital punishment by a state or federal, or governmental. What is wrong is the government killing its own people for no reason. When they're not, when they're not guilty. That is wrong. Government shouldn't be killing their own people. No one should be killing people. But when you go and kill someone else, God is requiring, the Bible says, that be the punishment. Keep going here. Whoever sheds, verse 6, human blood by humans... His blood will be shed. For God made humans in His image. Meaning, we were created in the image of God. That means we have a soul. That means we are different than all other creation. When other people pass away, when we die, we stand before God and we give an account for our life. And... What happens when someone's life is ended early? That means that life that was created for, by God, for God, have the purpose for God, was ended unexpectedly. This is why murder and death is so wrong. Moving along here in your Bible, now flip over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. And we're going to read several, uh, uh, um, several of these scriptures here. And we're going to see an opposite view. Because we have to reconcile what the Bible says. Because we're going to see what Jesus says. We're going to see what Paul writes. Because in many ways, if you just know one or two verses on what the Bible says about maybe turn the other cheek, or what we just read there about God requiring human blood, and then if you don't know the other scriptures on this, it'd be very easy for someone to say, well, you know what Jesus says. Yes, that was Old Testament, but Jesus says this. So we're going to get a complete picture of what the scripture says and then come to a conclusion. It says here, Romans 12, verse 18, If possible, as far as it depends on you, 
Live at peace with everyone. We're called to live at peace with everyone. And that key word there, as far as it depends on you. Don't miss that little phrase. That means sometimes it's not dependent upon you. Sometimes there's going to be other people. As much as you want peace in a situation, it's just not going to be peaceful. You can do and try as hard as you can to make a peaceful situation of something. And there are some people, they're agitators. They want to fight. They want to stir you up. They want to pick a fight. And you you can't live that way. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave rooms for God's wrath. As it is written, vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord. I will repay. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Let me explain what that means. Someone attacks you. Are you the one to shoot back? Do you beat them back up? No. We allow God to do that. Now, self-defense, we're going to see later on, is different. I'm going to show you in the Bible where it supports self-defense. But if someone hurts you or harms you or destroys your property, the proper channel for that is the justice system. If somebody burns your house down, you don't get mad and say, I'll show you, I'm going to go buy some firewood and get a match. I'm going to burn your house down. God is saying, no, you don't, you don't do it that way. Yes, they will, they will pay, but you striking back is not the right answer. Because we are not to go around avenging ourselves. Because then, the problem with doing that is you, could, you would constantly have ongoing fighting between people if they were just going back and forth. You strike me, I strike you. And then you would go to court after two people beat each other, shoot each other and beat each other up and say, well, he hit me, I had to return fire. And you, uh, nothing would get resolved that way. Look at verse 20. But if an enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He's saying you need to actually set a different standard. If your enemy who you don't like, you meet their needs. Instead of fighting them, love on them. Show them appreciation. Respond to them in a kind way. Sherry and I call this kill them with kindness. Do you know when you kill someone with kindness, it's hard. If someone... You go to school tomorrow. Well, tomorrow's President's Day. You go to school on Tuesday. And someone says something hurtful to you. It is better for you not to respond and to walk away than to sit there and fire right back. If someone at work tomorrow is gossiping about you, saying things that are false about you, again, You being drawn into that conversation, it's not going to resolve anything. All that it's going to end up doing is making it worse. You, as Christians, we are called by Jesus to take the high road. That shows your spiritual maturity. 
that shows that you're not going to stoop to this level. That's what he's talking about here. When someone's hurting you, you, you respond not by, not by fighting back, by calming them down. Alright, keep your finger here in Romans because we're going to be coming back to it. And I want you to flip over what Jesus says about this. These, these first few scriptures we read here are going to be on what we would call the pacifism side, where people do not go to war, where we are to love our neighbor and not fight back and turn the other cheek. Jesus spoke about this here in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That is the Old Testament scripture there, reminding us from uh, Exodus chapter 21, Leviticus chapter 24, and Deuteronomy chapter 19, that when someone takes, someone pokes, gouges your eye out, you are to do the same. God required that in the Old Testament law. But he's going to tell us something different. But he says, but I tell you, don't, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if someone slaps you in your right cheek, turn the other to him also. This is a radical teaching. Jesus is telling us, we as Christians should not be known as fighters. I want you to know something. We might, I want to tell you where we strike out as Christians all the time, I see it. I don't so much see fighting in the street and people beating each other up home. Do you know where Christians fight at? They fight online. They fight by gossip. It's this behind-the-scenes, online, internet. Folks, we kill our witness by bashing other people, political leaders, people we don't agree with online. Folks, listen. What good is it for me to make fun of President Biden on Facebook? I mean, is he going to see my post and say, my goodness, that Baptist preacher in Lexington said this, I need to go do it. Of course not. He's not gonna, he doesn't care what I say. We have, to, we have to, all I'm doing, if I did that, I'm literally, I have non-Christian friends, we all do, and they would see that and go, why is he saying that? Why would a Christian... And they, they would say, oh, I knew he was a hypocrite. I know that's how these Christians are. They say one thing, they love one another, but then they go online and they criticize and bash other folks. They're, I want to, I've learned. It, I, am, I never win points, and never will win points, by making fun of political leaders. If you don't like your political leaders, you need to vote for someone different. That's all you need to do. That's it. You go vote. And number two, I never win points on making fun of churches and other ministers. Never will. That's between them and God. Now, I, can I feel like I can vaguely say at other churches in Lexington, but calling out a church or another pastor by name, folks, that's wrong. We don't know what's in their heart. I don't know what he actually said. I don't know the context of that sermon or, or situation. I remember one time about... 12 years ago, um, and I do listen to some Joel Olstein sermons, 
uh, not all the time, but every now. I try to keep a mixture of different folks I listen to. I don't recommend them all the time, but it is, I am aware of that. He's the largest, he pastors the largest church here in America. Um, is it Lakewood? I th- Lakewood uh, Church there in Houston, the city I've never been to, but we look at every day. And we, um, we serve, well, you know, I listen to some of his sermons, but about 12 years ago, we had these folks, I was outside of Atlanta, and he would do these tours. I don't know if he does these tours anymore. He would come and have like a crusade or some type of rally or encouragement event at like Phillips Arena, I think it got renamed, State Farm Arena now in Atlanta. So it would be like 30,000 people, and Joel Olstein has a, ser- a service right there. And we actually had people from our church go up there and go visit that. And I remember... After that, the guy, one of the guys who went and saw it, he came back and he said, Pastor, I was so disappointed. I went up there and it was packed with people and it was like a positive motivational speech for 20 minutes. And then they sold books and wanted to sell all their products. And I just felt like I got cheated out of it. And he says, you, Daniel, you need to let folks know from the pulpit that they need to not listen to this guy. I was deceived. You know, it, it, it was wrong. And I politely told the man, says, you know, you, you might be right. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I think it's wrong for me to stand in God's pulpit and bash someone else. You've lived and learned, and you know what to do this. The Bible's telling us here, I think what Jesus is telling us, our place is not to go around to be known as a critic. We aren't. We aren't critics that write for the New York Times. We are Bible-believing Christians that live for Jesus. That's what I care about. I want my life to count. I want your life to count for the Lord. We want to see souls that are lost, that are saved. We want to see our African community. I want to tell you about the African community here in Lexington. We need an African church. And I don't think we have one. I think there's some... There's some uh, different types of specialized services for different countries, but just saying this is for an African service for all people from Africa. We invite you to it. This is a unique opportunity for us to be on mission with God for reaching people from this continent. And remember, Jesus, where did He go? He had to flee Herod. Folks, He went to Egypt where Ron Barry's been. Egypt is in Africa. He was there. The Israelites were in slavery under Pharaoh in Africa, there in Egypt. God called them out, just like us. Do you know Africa is the second, you know, Israel is in the Middle East, which is a part of Asia. The second continent that got the gospel Jesus went to was Africa. And the third was Europe with the Macedonian call. There when Paul crossed the Aegean Sea and went into Macedonia, into Europe. Now, I share all this because God's plan for us, He's telling us here, our lives should be known, not as violence. We shouldn't be people who, who criticize other preachers, who criticize other churches, who go around making fun of political parties we don't like. That's, to me, how I would ter- interpret turn the other cheek. I'm going to explain why. Because I think the Bible does, and we're going to see to it, justify a self-defense. If someone is in your home beating you up, you need to defend yourself. That's wisdom. Now, the Bible doesn't... You defend yourself, you call the police, and you let them take over. 
You don't say they run away. And this actually happened recently here. You don't hop in your car and say, I know where they live, let me grab the gun, and you drive to their house and start a shootout with them. That's not what, what we do. That's not self-defense. You're moving from defending yourself to being an aggressor. Jesus goes on to tell us here, verse 40, As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Your life should be known as, a, as one who is generous. If someone is, 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 wants to steal your coat or borrow your coat, say, hey, here's some more. If you need a coat, you can take mine. You want me to walk a mile? I'll go a second mile with you. That's called the extra mile. You're doubling up, whatever you're saying. It's a life that no one else lives this way. But God's people are to be known by this lifestyle of kindness, compassion, and not one of attacking other people. A critical spirit, an attack spirit, an aggressive spirit, is not a godly characteristic that we as believers should be known for. <clears throat> okay, that is what we would call the pacifist uh, position. Go the extra mile, turn the other cheek, give to anyone in need. Going back to Romans there, where it talks about live with peace with everyone. But the reality is, we live in a world that that's not always possible. So I want you, hopefully you kept your finger. This will be our last scripture we look at tonight. I hope you kept your finger in Romans chapter 13, or, or in Romans chapter 12. Go back there to Romans chapter 13. It's the next verse down from where we ended. And we're going to see here on that military force is actually one of the methods that God used to help accomplish His purpose. God used military force. The Israelites had to fight battles. They had to go defeat Jericho. They had to uh, defeat different, the Canaanites, all the different peoples of the land that they, they were using, God can and does use military force to accomplish His purpose. And what we want to see here is, okay, when is that appropriate to use? For a soldier, is it wrong? If you're a soldier here in the United States and your commander tells you to go kill someone, are, is that a justified killing? Ten Commandments tells us in, ver in the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill. Well, if they're telling me not to kill, and my boss is telling me to kill, what do I do? So let, our answers are found in Romans chapter 13. God's Word tells us, verse 1, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and authorities that exist are instituted by God. You say, well, pastor, how does that reconcile with communism? <clears throat> what if we lived in a country, and they told us we were, it was illegal and wrong to worship the Lord. And I want to tell you, that's, that's what communism would teach you. They would say, you don't need to go to church. If you live in Russia, they had the Russian Orthodox Church where they controlled it. And for Chi uh, the Chinese folks there, the Christians, they go to the underground church. And then and for those, their, their public church is called the Three Faces Church. And that's where the, in China, and that's where the 
communism, the communist government, controls that church. They have great influence in what is taught there. They want to make sure their government is never spoken against. This sermon wouldn't fly in China. In verse, in verse 2, so we have to understand, God here, He institutes governments. But a government can actually hinder the spread and the advancement of the gospel. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. So if you're a government, if you're a soldier, and you have sworn allegiance to that government that you're going to fight and protect the people, you are expected to do what you were hired and commissioned to do. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it, meaning the government, does not carry the sword for no reason. Meaning, capital punishment here. Fighting back, carrying the sword. For people who are lawbreakers, there must be punishment. The challenge of this verse, I think what Christians struggle with, and what maybe one day we could struggle with, what happens if you live in a country? What happens if you have governmental leaders that are teaching and instructing you to do things that are contrary to Scripture? Now, what if we had a president one day here in America that said it's illegal for us to go to church? That it was wrong for us to go out and give out Gideon Bibles. And you should not go to school and bring your Bible and pray. If you're going to have a faith, it needs to be practiced only at home. It can't be in the public. So what happens is you have, you have government telling you that you cannot do these things. Your faith cannot be public, it must be private. It's illegal to share the gospel. It's illegal to gather publicly and worship. And not only that, it's also illegal for you to maybe let folks know that you're a believer. Like giving away Bibles and praying and uh, inviting folks to church. All of that would be wrong. What I just described is actually true for our friends in China right now. They cannot freely do those things. All of those things are illegal. Yet they have to somehow grow and continue on in their faith in an underground manner. That could be one day here for America. Folks, when we surrender and we give up our liberty, our freedom, we are not promised. Remember, there's no mention in the book of Revelation in the book of Daniel, there is no mention of America. We aren't one of these countries. You could argue Russia is actually mentioned in there. You could make a case for that. Gog and Magog. But not for the United States. Now, a lot of folks would say, well, past us because they didn't know this hemisphere was around. But God did. He knew America was coming. He knew about the Western Hemisphere. He knew there was another side of the world. He was fully aware of that. The truth is, for us as believers, we live in a time, and it could be, maybe not for all of us, but down the road, the decades ahead, 
where we could have a country that tells us it's illegal and we need to be prepared to stand. And we know during the end times, the Antichrist will do this. He will force people to worship the beast, to take the mark, to use their currency. Keep going here in your Bible. This is why it's so important for us to make sure our elected officials, the people we put in office, love Jesus, follow the Bible. You want godly leadership. You want godly leadership at your church. You want godly leadership among your deacons. You want godly leadership with your Sunday school teachers. You want it at the local school. You want it when you go to the state office in Frankfurt, as well certainly in the White House, in Washington. Because if you don't have godly leadership, these principles don't apply. Because you will have rules and regulations that are just coming down on believers. And we will be targeted. Keep going here in your Bible. Therefore, verse 5, last, last three verses. You must submit not only because of the wrath, but because of your conscience. Meaning, you have a conscience, you know right and wrong. God expects His people to follow it. And for this reason, you pay taxes. Since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those who you owe taxes. Tolls to those who you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect. And honor to those you owe honor. God expects us to be believers that actually honor and respect our government. We should not be known for who we're against, but who we're for. And we're for Jesus, and we live, God has placed us in this country. We are Bible-believing Christians who come under the authority of Jesus, yet we're living in America, and we want to live our lives striving best to honor Him. Now, this goes back to what we say, okay, Daniel, what does this have to do with war? The Bible tells us that if you're a soldier and you're getting attacked and your authority tells you to fight back, you've got to do it because you do not bear the sword for nothing. There was a great theologian back in the 300s, back 1,700 years ago, named St. Augustine. He actually was from North Africa. They're going back to our African connection. Here in your handout, and he came out with something called the just... Well, he didn't call it this, but he began to develop something called the just war theory. And these were the qualifications. So if your country is about to get attacked, or you're considering going to war, or you have a battle coming up, this would be the qualifications you would go through to determine whether or not you need to go to war. So I want you to follow along here. It's at the very bottom. The war must be prompted by a just cause. For example... A defensive war in response to aggression. If Ukraine is attacked tonight, or tomorrow, or this week, that would be a just cause. They are a country, and they've got missiles flying over from Russia, bombing their land. That's a just reason for them to respond back. No reason for them to say, oh, we can't do this because of the Bible. They have to defend and save the lives of their people. They are they're, they're getting attacked. Number two, the war must be a last resort. Must be a last resort. Meaning, you should try diplomatic efforts. You should try negotiations. 
you should exhaust every other means before we actually have to start firing upon one another. So this should not be what you do first. This must be what you do last. And number three here, the Lord, or not the Lord, the war must have limited objectives. Meaning, if you go and attack a country, total wholesale destruction and humiliation should not be the objective. Meaning, we do not go in and just mow down millions of people and drop atomic bombs just for the sake, we're just going to make everybody pay. And I want to tell you, if you, one of the saddest things in American history is how the early settlers, and even in the early 1800s of what we call the Trail of Tears, Native Americans were here in the United States on this land before we were here. And some of this, you could, if you go and you read about that history of what happened, particularly with President Andrew Jackson, I believe he was the 7th or 14th President of the United States, there was many ways total annihilation. They were wiped out. They were treated wrongly at the Trail of Tears. This was their homeland, and absolutely, we, I believe it was God's plan and will for us to come here, but we could have lived here together. Our, our mission was not just to wipe out every Native American and, and run them out. This wholesale destruction and humiliation. We don't burn down the barn to roast the pig. If you want, if you want to take over a nation, don't kill every single one of its citizens. Do not kill the... Don't, you don't kill women and children and schools and hospitals and so start uh, destroying every possible thing you can just to get your objective. St. Augustine says, if you can make these type of qualifications here, just cause, it's a last resort, and not only that, it has limited objectives, meaning we're defending ourselves, we're taking this piece of land back, we're, we're uh, uh, reclaiming what should be ours, then that is different. It's, it's not a war of aggression. Do you know in the Bible here, it tells us, and we won't turn there, but in Exodus 22.2, going back to self-defense, because I think this ties in with personal self-defense. All this, all this relates to whether or not you should, can own a gun, whether or not you should fight in a war, but in Exodus 22, verse 2, the Bible tells us that if someone steals from us, if you are at home and you catch in the act of someone stealing from you, in the act, and you in that act, you actually kill that person. Exodus 22, verse 2, tells us that we are not guilty of murder by doing that, because it was in self-defense. So we see in the Bible here, we see how God hates murder. We, God is the author of life. Souls are created in His image. Yet we also see all the way over here in the New Testament that Jesus tells us that we are to turn the other cheek. Bible tells us by Paul, it tells us in uh, uh, Romans chapter 12 that we are to live with peace with everyone. Yet also the Bible tells us too that we, it's okay based on um, Exodus 22 verse 2 to practice self-defense if someone is st actively stealing from you. Bible tells us too, Romans chapter 13, that someone who fights in the army 
and the, and the commander says you are to strike back because we are taking incoming missiles and people are shooting at us, that's not, that's not wrong. So how do we reconcile all of this? We see there's in many ways two opposing positions. And I think the answer for that and for us this evening, God is telling us that we as Christians should be aware of the just war theory. We follow this. And knowing that war, in times of war, it should be something for self-defense. We should not be aggressive. You say, well, well, Pastor, why did we come in to the United States? Why, why did we steal the land from the Native Americans that were here? How we would answer that, and I want to tell you, if you study the 1619 Project, what and many of you here follow the news about some of this teaching getting into schools, what that is, it's a rewriting of America's history. I believe, this is what I believe, God, because of a religious oppression in England, God allowed the pilgrims to come over here, not to loot the land and to find gold and to become ultra-wealthy and to kill Native Americans. The pilgrims came here on the Mayflower and started the settlement there at Plymouth Colony in Massachusetts. They're right there off the bay for the purpose of religious freedom. They came here to freely worship the Lord. Now, obviously, when they came here, they, of course, met Native Americans. They met, there, were, uh, there was gold, there was um, natural resources they were able to tap into. I believe God has allowed our nation to be a mission-sending nation, to take the gospel and send missionaries and have strong Bible-believing churches to see thousands and millions of folks saved throughout the century, throughout the years. But... We should not be ashamed of our nation. We should be proud of it. Yet at the same time, we are, should not be known to be people who are going around practicing preventative strikes as well as being aggressive. We live in a self-defense state. If we're attacked, we fight for ourselves. We fight for our freedom. We fight for our country. We fight for our homes. Folks, we fight for our churches. We stand for religious liberty. We say, this is what God wants us to do. He wants us on His house on Sundays worshiping Him. There were folks who died for what you're doing right now. For what this book said, says. Our religious freedom. So tying this in with the war in Ukraine and what could very likely happen this coming week and the weeks ahead, we need to be aware that God wants us to, I believe, fall into the war as self-defense, as well as following the just war theory. If these qualifications are met, understanding that we're uh, using force only to meet force, then I believe from a biblical standpoint, standpoint, you can justify this is a war that would meet a biblical criteria. Now I'm going to close this service by praying for Ukraine. You know, I, I'm saddened by this because um, I want to tell you, this could become a very big war. Russia is a powerful nation. And we have a generation of people, um, particularly the, my, the generation younger than me, they've never lived through a Vietnam-style war, not even the Persian Gulf. They have not experienced something like this. 
witness something uh, of maybe of this magnitude. And in many ways, I want to tell you all what could happen. When the Lord could actually use instability in other parts of the world, especially, folks, if thousands of people start dying this week, if rockets are flying back and forth and there's images all over the news, do you know what will happen here in Lexington? There will be people who turn to the Lord. They will become fearful, especially if there's talk about the United States getting drawn into this war. You will see people start visiting this church. They'll start talking about it at work and at school. And this is why I felt led you need to know these things. Our hope is not in our national security as Americans. Our hope solely is in Jesus. And we need to be prepared. to If, if a war breaks out over there, and it's, it's changing and it's affecting people right here in Lexington, we need to take advantage of that and use that as a window for sharing the gospel. Folks, there was a revival in America for about three to four weeks after September 11. The church Sherry and I went to, when I say it was packed, it was packed. They were pulling, I mean, it was just regular old Sunday. You know, it was one of those churches about like ours, 60, 70% full. We were pulling out metal chairs, Joey, on the front row. People were scared. There was a fear that swept through. I mean, you were lining the chairs up and down the aisles because people didn't know. Uncertainty leads people to the Lord. And that could happen this week. I'm going to close this in prayer. And then we're going to have our t- opportunity to respond to the gospel, respond to Jesus. I'm specifically praying for this war. We want to pray for uh, this war not to happen. We want to pray for lives not to be lost, and especially for the Ukrainian and Russian Christians over there. Let's bow our heads. God, we come to you tonight. We see what the Bible says about war, how it is a reality throughout human history. Lord, unfortunately, this is the result of sin. Sin is why this is occurring. And God, I pray that uh, the instability in Russia and Ukraine, Lord, we pray for the churches over there. We pray for the believers. We pray for um, the, the, um, just the possibility of death that could occur. We pray that despite all of this tragedy, that there will be Bible-believing Christians that are witnessing and sharing the good news. Many of these people aren't saved. But Lord, I know you have people and we cling cling to the promise that you have believers who are need to be emboldened to share the good news. I pray for the chaplains, pray for the missionaries. Lord, we give you this situation. Lord, we feel in many ways so helpless. And God, if this escalates into being something big over the weeks ahead, Lord, I pray we here at Broadway, we will have a boldness and a confidence in standing on your word. Our hope is not in our government. And it's not in our military. Lord, our hope is in you. And we cling to that. Jesus, I thank you for this wonderful church. And for those of us who come here on the Sabbath, on Sunday, to worship you. Lord, this invitation, if there's anyone here, and there is, that they need to respond. Maybe they have not been living right. Maybe they have been entrapped in sin. Lord, I pray they repent of that sin and walk this aisle and take my hand. Lord, we give you this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. David Dell is going to lead us in our song. We're going to have our closing song, and you can respond to the gospel. I'll be standing down front waiting for you to respond.
David? I'll sing I Have Decided. I have